Welcome to the Groundbreaking Guide to Third-Party and Supply Chain Risk Management, How Exeger's Trades Framework Revolutionizes Third-Party Risk Management and Supply Chain Risk Management in 2021 and Beyond. In this special six-part podcast series sponsored by Exeger on the Trades Framework, we will look at how the Trades Framework is a cutting-edge but actionable blueprint to build a modern third-party and supply chain risk management program. Over the next six episodes, I will be speaking with Exeter's experts as we go through each layer of the trades framework at the tactical, program, and strategic levels. We will put a spotlight on transparency into your current state with Skylar Chai and Tim Stone, discuss risk methodology with Teresa Cambabasso and Matt Hayden, assess current risks with Laura Tolchin and Peter Jackson, determine mitigations with Carrie Wibben and Aaron Narva, evaluate the trades framework uplift with Brandon Daniels and Josh Teal, and end with Brandon Daniels and Erica Peters, who will give a review of supplier monitoring and close out with how government and critical industries are leading the charge using the trades framework to outpace threats and vulnerabilities while minimizing third-party risk management gaps. In this episode two, we look at risk methodology design with Teresa Campobasso, Senior Account Manager, National Security and Intelligence, and Matt Hayden, Deputy Lead of GovTech Solutions. Hello, everyone. We continue our, our exploration of trades, and today is risk methodology design. Could you tell us about the uh, overview of this, Teresa? Sure. So as Skylar and Tim mentioned previously, uh, after organizations get their data, they're often really excited to try and jump right into the, uh, the assessment. They want to jump right into you know, managing the risk and, and trying to make a difference in their program. So the, the challenge there is if you skip the step of risk methodology design, you run two, two big risks with the success of your program. And that first one is going to be that you may not have customized your program uh, in the correct way based on, you know, your industry or your uh, critical assets, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, And then the other risk is that you may not get that organizational buy-in from your own stakeholders, um, from your own programs, and uh, even, you know, your own third parties to the extent that you're working with them if you don't have a really relevant, tailored, customized, well-thought-out program. So the importance here that we really want to emphasize is that the outcome of your supply chain risk management program or your third-party risk management program is really only going to be as good as your design. So it's very important to to do this up front and to really think through the roadmap, the process, the methodology. And, uh, you know, just like Skylar and Tim had mentioned, we want to look at the the strategic level, the program level, and the entity level as we talk about the different kinds of risks and, you know, how we want to set up that design and set up that methodology. But it is really important to do that right at the front. So when we're talking about the particular kinds of risks, you know, I'm just going to I had just mentioned the um, the different levels, but let's talk about that a little bit. So at the strategic level, you know, you've got your you, we've we've done the T step of trades. We have gotten our 
uh, transparency in our internal and external data. And now we've got some decisions to make as an organization about what to do with that and how to best use that to create that roadmap. Um, and then, you know, use that to drive our policies and our guidance throughout the organization. So at the strategic level, that's really where you are going to, you know, have your, have your business or have your organization really commit to your definition of risk. Um, and, you know, that's going to set the stage for the rest of our uh, of the rest of the things that we're kind of going to discuss here around risk indicators and criticality. You know, what is the goal of your program? Really defining that, you know, is, is the goal of your program to maximize revenue? Is it to prevent disruption? Is it to safeguard national security? Is it to prevent cyber breach, you know, or some, some combination of all of those things? But getting that clarity at the strategic level is going to drive what happens throughout the rest of the process. So then we, you know, look at the program level. So we've gotten our goals, we've gotten clarity around our, our common definition of risk and what the goal of our program is, you know, where we want to focus our effort. So now, you know, there, the universe of possible supply chain and third-party risks is, is very broad, as you can imagine. And it's very helpful for organizations now at the program level to start looking at ways that they can best align the, you know, third-party risk management program or supply chain risk management program to their specific needs. Uh, and there's kind of two main ways that we like to do that. The first way is going to be to look externally, and that is going to identify, you know, which risks really align to your organization's industry, maybe your supplier types, um, and then determining what those risk indicators are to measure those risks that you find to be high priority. I mean, you want to consider, you know, your inherent risks to individual suppliers. You want to consider things like, uh, you know, an imposed risk or what we call a macro risk, something like a, you know, a geopolitical factor. And then also we want to look internally at your own organization and identify what your critical assets are. And I know Matt's going to tell us more about that later on. But that's really what you want to do at the program level, right as you start. And then finally, at the entity or tactical level, that's where you're going to dive into and make some calculations around the very specific individual risks that you have decided that are your priorities. So, um, you know, we can talk about all sorts of, you know, specific individual risks, but, you know, we, I've mentioned kind of the two families of those. You've got your inherent risks and then you've got your imposed risk. So you can really think of those as the inherent risk is going to be the risk that is uh, germane to the entity itself. So maybe it's financial health or maybe, uh, you know, it's ownership, something like that. Um, and its own network of suppliers, perhaps. And then the imposed risk is more something that is a factor that's external to the entity, um, but still really affects it. So think of things like, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, or maybe something like a, a geopolitical, uh, you know, a, a sanctions, you know, issue or some kind of geopolitical instability in the region where maybe your supplier is manufacturing. So those are kind of I, I know that was probably a lot to start with, but those are really the areas that you want to really get that clarity around throughout the organization as you first start your program, after you've gotten that T, transparency, but before you move on to trying to make any assessments, because all of this design and all of this methodology and getting that clarity and tailoring it to your uh, particular operational context is going to drive how you want to do that stage A, which is, I know, uh, a different podcast, but that's going to drive how you're going to assess those risks and determine what is important to your organization and then how to mitigate it ultimately. Thank you, Tom. Uh, just as Teresa had mentioned, one of the challenges that 
we come to as security professionals when we look at industries is what are you trying to protect the most? And we'll come to agencies and say, what are your crown jewels? And agencies will turn to us and say, well, we're in compliance or, or we have met all of our needs that were being asked of us. And, and, and we have to sit them down and say, no, you don't understand. What are the most disruptive things that if they were to happen, the things you control or things you possess or that are people on your team that we need to mitigate or we need to identify as potential risks moving forward? Those are your crown jewels. So an example may be if you're a, a small doctor's office and you're looking to have uh, your crown jewel analysis, it's your patient records. If you're a multi-billion dollar company, it's what's going to cost you a billion dollars a day if it goes away, whether that's a component of your supply chain that is sensitive or that's a specific team member that you can't live without. Those crown jewels are going to be what you look at as a target of where you want to identify what risks are there, and those are going to be your short list. Most people, when they hear this, they say, okay, I'm going to do a thousand things and try to look at all of the gamut that could be impactful to those things. No, we're talking about a top 10, maybe top 20, depending on your organization, of what are the most disruptive items that could happen or the most sacred items that need to be protected. And we're going to lay that over the top of the risk framework that we've identified through the other processes, such as uh compliance and, and our external factors. So we would look at this at an exercise that would go all the way up to the board. You would have your board of directors, every meeting, ticking off what these particular items are and how they are being protected and or uh, are they being identified as they evolve. And so that's that keen always on focus that touches on transparency and moves towards accessing risk where you at least need to know where those risks are. And, and lastly, just when you're looking at crown jewels versus your whole organization, and we're looking at that top 10 list, we do want to make sure that people don't get caught up in boiling the ocean because it is something that will cause there to be too much creep and, and, and make it to where organizations have challenges. So hitting those top 10s, hitting those top 20s of what you can't live without and identifying what those particular items need to be protected by is truly where the internal risk matrix really needs to kick in. And if I could follow up the crown jewel issue, do you find that that is one business executives or, or the people sitting, uh, your clients and customers understand, or is this something that is really new to them and you have to educate them on? For those in the cybersecurity lane, it's been uh, a part of the vernacular for a while. The challenge was when we first started rolling out security solutions, people in the C-suite wanted to know what we had to protect first. You know, yes, 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 we've got to protect our whole organization, but what do we have to protect first? And this was an, an exercise that was required to determine those priority items that really needed that protection. But when risk officers started seeing what we were doing in the cybersecurity lane, they said, no, 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 this is organization-wide. This is, this is every category of risk needs to be enveloped in this priority process because you can't have priorities in one risk category and not others. And so Crown Jewels has become a part of the vernacular within C-suites for major corporations. I think as you get into those middle tier corporations and, and certainly as you get into small business, there's there's usually a challenge in translation, but they, they get to it pretty quickly. And do you find that after they begin this crown jewel assessment or, or simply kind of a risk ranking assessment that it really can help evolve into a business efficiency exercise as well? 
There is there is a, a fear that with all these exercises, just as you said, with the risk rating, the challenge with risk ratings is that if you interpret crown jewels in that that siloed manner, you will try to do a top 100, a top 1,000. You include more than what may be at that cutoff. So the first step is traditionally creating a threshold. So like we mentioned earlier, if this is a billion dollar, uh, multi-billion dollar company, and, and you set a threshold of what would impact a billion dollars a day of going out the door, that threshold and above is what you focus on from a crown jewels aspect, whereas a full risk ranking may take into effect the entire agency's known disclosed aspects of risk and move from there. So you do still want to containerize it as those true high priority items and we'll work from there. But it is something that is becoming uh, a business enterprise and an efficiency aspect. It does lend itself to the larger management conversation. So if you do find that you have a top 10 priority uh, list and those items aren't being made more efficient or or working in that manner. It is a tool that is available, but it's not its intended purpose. And Teresa, if I could end with a question to you, the R stands for risk methodology design. Does the methodology design allow for flexibilities uh, between organizations, or do you ta- or rather do you tailor it? Uh, for each client that you're sitting across the table with, or is it something else? That is a very good question. Uh, So there are kind of a couple ways that we want to think about this. So uh, typically when we're looking at uh, implementing the risk methodology design, uh, you know, there's an internal way to do it where you're looking at your own organization, in which case you would want to have kind of a ground truth. And that's exactly what we talked about, about that strategic level, getting that organizational buy-in and having everybody decide on that common definition and getting ready to kind of move forward as a team. But when you're helping clients work through this process or, you know, educating them about things like the crown jewel analysis that Matt just mentioned, um, you do want to be flexible because you're going to have to consider the different lenses of risk and the different inherent and imposed risks, um, you know, and and their criticality that they're working on um, and, you know, what their critical assets are. So you're going to want to build that flexibility in there so that you can be really responsive. And just like you want to have a really tailored, uh, relevant, um, you know, data-driven methodology for you to implement, you know, that, that's going to work well for your organization, that's exactly one what you want to develop for your clients as well. Well, Matt and Teresa, we are unfortunately near the end of our time. Uh, frankly, I could talk with you guys for hours on this topic, uh, but I wanted to thank you and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so thank much. You, this is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoyed listening to episode two of our six-part exploration of the trades framework. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow for episode three, where I'm joined by Lara, Laura Tolchin and Peter Jackson on assessing current risks. This special podcast series on the Exeger Trades Framework is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again.